Well, you can open at Acts 22 because there was something in Acts 22 that we saw during the Zoom uh, last week. Uh, it's a lovely verse, and I wanted to, to speak on that this morning. But I have to sort of do a little bit of preparation to get there. And so where we're going to start, actually, is in Romans 10, okay? Romans 10. Because when I saw this verse in Acts 22, I knew that there was something really powerful in it. And I don't quite know the fullness of it yet. But I just understand that when I begin to speak on something, revelation comes. And that idea really gripped me this week. The idea that as we begin to speak, as we open our mouths, things become clearer. Does anybody else have that experience that maybe there's something in your heart, you don't quite understand what it is, you sit down and you talk to somebody. And as you speak, things become clearer, you know. And there's a beautiful dynamic in the scripture that talks about that. So what I'm saying is, I don't normally understand how little I know something until I'm asked to speak on it. (laughs) And then I discover praise God. And then I have to prepare and to go through a whole journey and process of trying to write things down, trying to speak things. And sometimes I speak something out and the Holy Spirit gives a little no. (laughs) And other times you speak something out and there's a big yes. And that way you begin to discern what's really of God and what's not, you know. So I would encourage you about the power of, of conversations, that there's a revelation and there's healing that only flows in our lives when you open your mouth. And I felt that strongly even for some people here this morning. You need to start a conversation. You need to say something. There's something you need to say. There's something in you and God wants to bring it out. And as you find somebody you can talk to, it's going to come up and you're going to get a revelation and it's going to be a flow in your life. And we've always speaking about that divine flow, aren't we? So as I thought about that, I remembered the verse that said, you know, well, if you confess with your, uh, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. Well, that's the way I remembered it. But then when I looked at the verse, it's not quite like that. It's a little bit different. Turn to Romans 10, and we'll read it together. This is Romans 10. I'm going to read, actually, the little verse in context. I'm going to read from verse 5 in Romans 10. It says this, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Now, that's a very powerful verse. That's talk about trying to produce life by what you do. That's where we all were for years, you know. I'm going to get this Christian life by what I do. I'm going to do this, this, and this. That's called doing to become. And that's endemic right the way across the nation, across the churches, doing to become. Say a little bit about that later. Next verse, verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So notice the order. I thought the order was that you... Excuse me, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. But it doesn't say that, does it? It's actually talking about confessing with your mouth and then a revelation in your heart. So we know, in fact, we can say both things. It's absolutely true that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can meet people at the door on a Sunday morning and know what they're believing within five minutes. (laughs) Because, you know, either there's a level of thanksgiving in our conversation or there's not. So we all know where we're at. Praise God. But here it says there's some revelation that flows when you begin to speak. Praise God. (coughs) 
And so I was thinking about that this week, and I did get that strong revelation that there were some people that needed to begin to speak uh, to see that healing flowing in your lives. Or to put it in plainer English, some of you are one conversation away from a revelation. Praise God. So some of you need to speak. And I don't mean from a platform. I mean from a table, around a table. And that's what we're going to speak about today, the power of a table. This message is called Raised at His Table from Becoming to Being. And I'm going to show you the power of an anointed conversation. You see, it's great to have ministry from the platform, but the most powerful revelation in every person's life here today happened at a table, either the lunch table or the dinner table. But each of us were established in our identity from the things that were said to us around the table. And usually by our parents, you know, who established us in our identity. And I'm realizing that it doesn't change. God establishes us in our identity too through a conversation. You see, a table isn't just for eating. It's for communion, isn't it? This is where we have communion. It's round the table. Praise God. So it's actually amazing by the grace of God. He says he turns all things to the good. We've had two years of separation, you know. These tables were put out, in fact because of the need for separation. But the very thing that was used to separate us now is going to produce union, praise God. Because God is speaking to us really about the release of the body and about the communion that comes around tables. You know, there was a reason Jesus was accused of being a wine-bibber and a, a glutton. And it's because the place he was most commonly found was around a table, praise God. You see, at a table, you can do what you can't do at a platform. Have a conversation. Have a conversation. Jesus preached a lot, didn't he? Preached a lot. Asked, and he was asked questions. And so normally he'd go into a preach from a question he was asked. But the Bible says that he asked three times more questions himself than he was asked. Now that's interesting. What was he doing? He's drawing out revelation. He, he draws out revelation. And God will ask you questions. When you go through a very difficult time in your life, I find there's more revelation will flow from a difficult time because in your heart of hearts, questions come up, you know. And you've got to have a dialogue. You've got to say, Lord, I don't understand. Why has this happened, you know? We've all been through those times. And in that communion, you know, the Holy Spirit says, glad you asked. Keep speaking. Come on, what do you think? <laughs> That's what Jesus did as he walked with his disciples. Praise God. You know, we have, a, we have a catchphrase in the church here. Let the river flow. And by that we mean, let the Spirit speak. Let the Spirit speak. And what we see from the Scripture is, there's a river that flows from the temple. So there's a river that flows from the body of Christ. Open your mouth, let the river flow. There's something about sitting and having a conversation that will draw out of you the revelation because you have the mind of Christ. It just needs to be drawn out. So Jesus was always drawing out what was in people, praise God. And I just want to encourage you that that's what he's doing even right now. You know, we live in the noisiest generation there's ever been. We're bombarded 24-7 by information. Everybody's got a phone in their pocket almost in this church, you know. You can get a Bible in there. You can get books in there. You can get podcasts, videos. You can get the news 24-7. But you don't grow in the knowledge of God through information. We grow through revelation. And there's a difference. Now, when Jesus walked with his disciples, you remember one day he asked them a question. Who do people say that I am? And back started to come information. Well, some people say John the Baptist, some people say Elijah, some people, some people. And then Jesus kept asking, yes, yes, but, but you, who do you say that I am? You know? And out of Peter's mouth popped this revelation. Whoa, you're, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, now that 
flesh and blood didn't reveal to you. That's not education. You didn't get that from information. That came from above. That came from my father above. I reckon Peter was shocked by what he said. I reckon Peter was shocked by what he said. I believe that the day Peter went to the gate beautiful and him and John were walking in to pray and they saw the cripple at the gate. Remember, Peter suddenly was full of the Holy Spirit. He grabbed the man by the hand. This man hadn't walked all his life and said, silver or gold, we don't have, but what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Go up and walk. I always imagine that night, John turning to him to say, what got into you this morning? And Peter says, I have no idea. I have no idea where that came from. And I want to encourage you, God is going to speak to, through you to people. And people are going to come into the knowledge of God because as you speak, they're standing in the very presence of God. You see, you have and you carry the presence of God. And when we just absolutely acknowledge that, you know, find him and sick, the acknowledgement of every good thing within you makes the communication of your faith effective, you know. So on your worst day, tell yourself, I am full of the Holy Spirit. Just begin to praise God, thank God, and then open your mouth and you'll be surprised at what comes out of your own mouth. Praise God. There is something powerful. I remember I, I mentioned that I couldn't understand that scripture that said, when two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. I said, Jesus, why do you say that? I mean, if I'm by myself, surely you're in the midst. But you see, when two or three are gathered, there has to be a conversation. Somebody's got to open their mouth, you know. So you sit down and you have a talk with somebody. You have no idea. We, we met for lunch yesterday with Mike and Lena, you know. Uh, three hours later, we got up. <laughs> you know, we had a great time. But we had no idea what we were going to say. But the Holy Spirit was just moving through the conversation. So I want to encourage you. You don't have to stand on a platform to minister. Open your mouth. Have a conversation. Be thee being filled with this wonderful news that blows your mind. You have been reconciled to God. You are a child of God, you know. And nobody out there is going to, information is not going to tell you that. You're not going to get that from your phone. Praise God. That's in you by the Holy Spirit. And it's just such a beautiful thing. Praise God. So if you want to grow in the knowledge of God, <coughs> it's a good thing because grace and peace are multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, then you need to find out where the river is flowing. Get around believers who are flowing in the gospel of grace. Get around people full of the Spirit and let that river flow. And you'll find it will call up the river in you. We have the opportunity. That's why I didn't write this book. We wrote this book <laughs> because we call up the river in each other, you know. It's like that old story people tell about an eagle that was in captivity for years and then they finally came to release him and he just tossed it out of the cage but he didn't go anywhere. He didn't know how to fly and he sat there and wouldn't fly until another eagle flew overhead and cried out and when he heard the cry of the other eagle he took off, you know. And so that's the dynamic that happens when we come together. It's beautiful, you know. I, I, I'm going to try and not go on too long today because at the end of our service, our service really begins when we get round these tables, praise God, and just begin to talk because people here are carrying words and carrying things. They don't know yet, but they are. They don't know yet. You know, it, it sort of just comes up like love on the inside of you. Praise the Lord. So yes, we grow when we listen to others speak, but there's also a growth that cannot take place until we open our mouths and speak in other words, the most effective flow for growth is not the flow of a monologue, but the flow of a dialogue, a conversation, praise God. And that's just a beautiful thing. Um, we, all, we all remember anointed conversations <laughs> where at the end of that conversation, think something was clear. Something was just clearer, you know. There's a journey that takes place from the spirit to the mouth. And as you begin to try and open your mouth, that journey takes place on the inside of us, praise God. So I've been thinking a lot about this over the last couple of weeks because, um, as I mentioned earlier, I have to speak at this conference this week in Derbyshire, and the subject is, is discipleship. And um, 
how can we help believers to grow up to maturity in Christ? You know, and so I have to speak on that subject for, for 45 minutes and they give me a fancy title, okay? Here's the title. <laughs> Shifting from church-centric to Christ-centric discipleship. Now, what that means is there's been an awful lot of reflection in the body of Christ since, break, since lockdown. I was going to say breakdown. Because <laughs> a lot of churches broke a lot of churches broke down, you know. <clears throat> and there's a, there's a realization that there may be something wrong with the way we're doing church, you know. And I guess they give me this title because they suspect I may have something to say about it. And they're not wrong. There's a big difference between doing church rather than being church, praise God. So they're going to get the 45-minute version because it's going to take me that long to, to actually set it up. Uh, you don't need that long. You're already there, so I'll give you the one-minute version, all right? Praise God. So what is the shift that the Holy Spirit is bringing to the church? It's a shift from doing church to being church. There's a shift from doing to become to being. Or to be more concise, it's a shift from becoming to being. Mike, you were trying to become a Christian for years, weren't you? A shift from becoming to being. When the first Adam fell, he fell from being to becoming. Remember? Because he swallowed the lie. You could become like God if you do. And he swallowed the lie and he fell from being to becoming. But in the last Adam, we have been lifted up. He raised us up from becoming to being. So today, we have our being in God. We are being in God. You can walk down the street. You can walk into school, walk into your work, and you can be in God. You can be in God. It's such a beautiful thing. It's so powerful. So now we have our being in God. But to live from there, my thinking has to go there. Yeah. And this word doesn't help because it keeps talking to me about who I could become. If I had a bit more money, had a few more friends, went to a better church, had, had a big, bigger car, had a better job. You see, the whole world is telling you who you could become. Yeah. Only the Spirit will tell you who you are. Praise God. That's the difference between a father and a manager. A manager will tell you who you could become if you work harder, you get a promotion, you become somebody one day. Keep at it, get your head down, work harder. Only a father can tell you who you are, a father or a mother. And that's the difference, praise God, in how we preach the gospel. So to live from there, we have to have our thinking raised up from becoming to being. And so the Spirit is saying to the church what he's been saying for 2,000 years. Church, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above Praise God. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is, is, praise God, hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You've heard this how many times? But you know what? You need to hear the gospel every day. Because this world is not telling you this. 2,000 years after the Apostle Paul first wrote those words to the Colossians, the Spirit is still saying to the church, rise from becoming to being. Now, what's the best way, therefore, to equip a generation of believers to rise up from becoming to being? Well, how about this? Stop speaking to them of who they could become and start speaking to them of who they are. Stop preaching principles that they need to apply in order to lead a better life for God. Start preaching Christ as their life. Yeah. 
in God. Stop telling believers they need to become more righteous. Tell them they are righteous, even on their worst day. Especially on their worst day. Because the most powerful thing you can tell a child is not who they'll be one day, but who they are. If you want to see a disciple of God grow, don't tell them how they could be righteous. Tell them they are and watch what happens. Watch as they are rooted and grounded in that truth. Watch the life of the righteous one grow up in them. Stop preaching the gospel as instruction on what you need to do to reconcile yourself to God. Start preaching the gospel as news. The amazing news that God has already reconciled you to himself and is now no longer counting your sins against you. So you can now be whom God sees you to be. You can be reconciled to God for the power to be is found in the message of your being not the message of your doing. In other words, it's found in the gospel of God's grace, not the gospel of your obedience. Praise God. And that's why we've been given His Spirit, because the Spirit is a Spirit that declares what is, not what could be. And so to preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit is to tell people who they are because Jesus lives. Not who they could be if they lived long enough for holy enough. Praise God. So, Acts 22. Turn to Acts 22. We read this last week and it really blessed me because in Acts 22 we get a little picture of what happens when somebody is filled with the love of the Father because when the Holy Spirit comes and gives us this revelation we realize that God's love is so great that he couldn't bear to be separated from us he just couldn't bear it he's got such a passion and I want to speak to you for a few minutes about the passion of God because it's frightening when you actually get a handle on the love of God Bible says the love of God is like a consuming fire. His passion for us is something that when we get a hold of it, it changes the way we think, it changes the way we speak. Acts 22 is a lovely example of somebody being filled with that fire. Because at the beginning of this chapter, Paul is about to be lynched by a mob in the temple. You remember the story? He went to the temple. He was recognized. The Jews in the temple thought he was blaspheming Moses in the temple. So they, they, they jumped on him and they were kicking him to death when some Roman soldiers intervened and pulled him away. And as they were rescuing him, he asked them to stop. He said, no, I want to speak to them. And I can imagine the Roman centurion thought, are you mad or what? These people want to kill you. What love is that? You see, that's the same spirit Jesus was full of on the cross when he said, Father, don't hold this against them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Paul, full of that same spirit, he says, I want to speak to these people who are trying to kill me. And then, full of the love of God, he begins to speak, to give his testimony. And um, it's like, well, well, he begins to describe his own conversion on the road to Damascus, which was quite remarkable. Even today, we use the phrase, the phrase somebody's had a, uh, a, a Damascene conversion. It means uh, an immediate, literal, total, and complete change of mind. Now, most of us don't get that, you know. For Paul, it was all at once. It was like so bright, he was blinded. For most of us, it's, it's a bit of a journey to come into that light, praise God. They say, you know, you should never look directly at the sun. Isn't that right, John Conway? Why? What happens? They say you go blind, you know. Do you know what happens when you look directly at the, at the consuming fire that is the love of God? You realize you have been blind. 
you realize you have been blind to the true value of people, you know? I find this happens to me at funerals. I go to a funeral, a funeral of somebody I think I know. People begin to talk about them. People begin to weep. People, begin to, people who love them begin to speak about them. And I realize, God, I never knew this person. I didn't really know them. You see, you don't know somebody until you know how much they're loved, you know? It's a child, you know? Uh, Dr. Julia knows Nora because she loves her so much. Nobody knows little Nora like Julia does, you know? Nobody knows you like the person who loves you, praise God. And so to be filled, that's why Paul, he loved the people who were about to kill him, you know. Where did he see that, I wonder? How about that little man called Stephen? When Paul was stoning and supervising Solitars, supervising the death of Stephen, he was shocked by the smile on that man's face as he died. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit meant when said to, 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 to Saul of Tarsus, it's hard to kick against the gold, isn't it? Saul couldn't get that image out of his mind of a man who was forgiving him as he was killing him, you know? That's the love of God. Do you understand? You see, we tend to make God in our own image. Someone once said, God made man in his own image and man returned the compliment. <laughs> we made God in our own image, you know? So you have people with a carnal mind thinking God's angry and God's upset and you need to appease this God. And it's a bit like your mother-in-law or something, you know? I mean, you need, to, you, know, you need to try and stay on the right side. You're walking on eggshells around them or something like that. You know, people make God out in their own image. Praise God. You need an absolute metanoia to see that's not what he's like. He's the one who laid down his life. Praise God. For the people who were killing him. Praise the Lord. So I'm aware that uh, this blindness is in us all. We're not actually able to, to see, in fact, you know. And last week, w- the message that went up on the podcast or on the YouTube was called um, uh, The Emphasis of His Voice. And I was speaking about really knowing God for what He's really like. And I re- related in that. As I was putting it up, I listened to it again. And I remember I told the story about us losing Christopher when he was four years of age in Bunkrana one day. You know, we went out to Bunkrana, went to that park near the sea there turned around and Christopher was gone you know now within 10 minutes we started shouting at the top of our voice Christopher you know we, all up and down up and down all the people started to get worried they joined us within 10 minutes we had a search party out you know back and forth after 20 minutes we were beside ourselves you know and suddenly he came around the corner and everything was okay but I I was shocked and I began to think that night about my god what would I have been like after an hour what would I have been like by that night, you know, if he hadn't shown up? I, and I became aware that inside of me there's a volcano. I don't want to even think about it. I don't even want to think that. We, as mothers and fathers, we don't even want to think about it, do we? But we feel that when we're at a funeral, especially when someone has lost a child. You feel it, you know? You feel that. Yeah, and it's frightening. And you don't want to go there. You know, that's the love of God. That's the love. That's the frightening, consuming fire of the love of God who will let nothing Sin or death, separate us from him. That's what's in his heart. That's the way he speaks, you know. And so to, to catch that is to begin to understand that the idea maybe you had about God is not correct concerning what he's like. Praise God. So, sorry, let's read from verse 6 because there's a verse here I mentioned that, that really jumped out at me. This is Saul, uh, Paul now, the Apostle Paul, giving his testimony of what happened to him on that road to Damascus. And it says this, Now it happened as I journeyed, I came near Damascus. This is uh, Acts 22, verse 6. I came near Damascus at about noon. And suddenly, a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? 
And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light, and they were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and I came into Damascus. Praise God. Could not see because the glory of the light, brighter than the noonday sun. That's the fire of God. So this was Saul of Tarsus, this burning bush moment. After this, he could never look at people the same way. And every one of us, God wants to have that sort of burning bush experience, you know. I went to, uh, was at a conference recently, and there's a man speaking called Dr. Michael Maiden. And this man is a tremendous prophetic gift. He's a prophet, really, you know. And he talked about, talked about many things. He, he talked about a vision he once had where he was in a large warehouse and there were just thousands of drawers in, in these large warehouse. And the Lord said, pull open one. So he pulled open a drawer and it was full of letters, full of love letters. And the Lord said to him, he felt, this, these are all the love letters for all the people in the world undelivered. I need somebody to deliver these. Isn't that beautiful? To every person in the world, God's poured out his heart, you know. He just needs somebody to deliver the letter. There's a lot of undelivered letters. That's why we're getting this revelation. It's time to deliver the letter. It's time to tell people their sins have been forgiven. It's time to tell people the good news that will set them free from religiosity and from self-centeredness, praise God. So here's the phrase that jumped out at me. Look at verse 8. Paul says, I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you're persecuting me, who you're persecuting. Now, what struck me about that phrase was, here was God speaking. And he could have named himself anything when he spoke to Paul. He could have said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He could have said that. <coughs> he could have said, this is the creator of the universe speaking, whom you're persecuting. He could have said, this is the king of kings and lord of lords. Do you remember when Moses asked God his name of the burning bush? What did God say? Yeah, go and tell him I am, I sent you. So he could have said, I am, but listen to what he said. <laughs> I am Jesus of Nazareth. Do you know what difference Jesus made? God now identifies himself with the earth, with us. There's a man in the Godhead. There's a man in the God. That's how high we've been lifted up, you know, that he would name himself after us. That, you know, we have such a low opinion of ourselves. It's a chronic condition in the body of Christ. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I think Jesus came for a little bit more than that. I think you're a son of God empowered by grace. I think your primary identity is now in Christ. And he would not have you to name yourself after what you did, praise God, but as to who you are or what Christ did for you. So this is amazing. Jesus of Nazareth. No man can say, I am of God. But that's what we're allowed to do by the Holy Spirit. <coughs> we can say, I am of God. I am a child of God. Apostle John wrote this. He says, my God, what love is this? That we are called children of God? But this is who we are, he wrote. Children of God. So I can say, I am Phelim of God. <laughs> Come on. That's why he died. You see, I mean, I, 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 love, I love my children. I mean, I think about Christopher when he was four, you know. Beautiful, wonderful, tremendous. We're actually going out to celebrate his birthday today. He turns 30 this week, you know, and I won't be here, so we're going to have a little birthday party from today, you know. 
It would be a bit sad if he still behaved like a four-year-old. It's the joy of the father to see his children grow. This is where the father says, grow up into everything. He came. He didn't come all this way to lift us halfway up. He came to lift us to where he is. That's his heart. He said that in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, that they would know, that they would know the love that you have for me because you love them the same way. That they would be one as we are one. I and you and you and me. That they would be in us and they would know that they are in us. This is how he's lifted us up. And it's just, it's just beautiful. Praise God. We need to re- recover that, that scandalous nature of the gospel. I mean, Stephen got stoned to death for saying it. When he stood up and said, I see a man at the right hand of God, he was stoned to death on the spot. <laughs> so Saul of Tarsus knows what, 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 is, what is happening here, and it blows his mind. He can't take it in. But this is, he never lost it. He never lost that. He was the man, therefore, he even rebuked the Apostle Peter when the Apostle Peter began to withdraw from Gentiles. <laughs> he remembered what he heard on that road to Damascus. You know, God sees the precious nature of every person, and his desire is the same. He sees all men as worthy of his love, praise God. And that love doesn't change because it's his nature, and his nature is unchanging. And that's a rock the fact that God is unchanging, his love never changed. We changed our mind about him. We rejected him. He didn't reject us. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, you know, that Christ, or God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It doesn't say he was reconciling himself to the world. He didn't need to. He'd never changed his mind about us. You know why? Because God's nature is unchanging. His love never changed. We changed. He didn't change. That's the rock that allowed Paul and Silas to worship in jail in, in, in Philippi. That's the rock that allowed the church when they're greatly persecuted to say, it doesn't matter that I've had the worst day of my life because this is not God's opinion of me. Jesus Christ is God's opinion of me. And I have a spirit to know that whatever happens to me in this life, nothing, nothing will separate me from the love of God, even death. Praise God. Now, when that is in your spirit, then you're free from the fear of death, which is what drives this world, the fear of death, the fear of death, the fear of separation. Praise God. So to see him is to see his heart for us. Praise God. And the angels were astonished. The angels were astonished at the incarnation. You know, we're coming up to Christmas. We're going to be saying all these beautiful stories again and thinking about the birth of Jesus. The angels were astonished. And they're waiting for the church to be that astonished. They're waiting for the church to be that astonished. I heard a wonderful message uh, during the week where they were talking about Sometimes the way we try and get people to do something for God, even when we're bringing people to Christ, you know, I think there's value in getting people to stand up and confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. I did that in this church uh, 30 years ago, whatever, you know. There's value in that. But you know what? Your confession didn't make God do something. And many Christians never get that, you know. So this message the minister was talking about, (laughs) the correct sinner's prayer. And he said, well, from a heaven's point of view, you know the ones heaven would really like? That would know that you'd really got it? Write this down. Here's a new sinner's prayer. If you've got a pen, write this down. Whoa! <laughs> That's good, isn't it? That's the best sinner's prayer you can ever hear. And actually, if you ask the Greek what the, what, the, what the meaning of the word metanoia or repentance means, that's about as close as you can get. It means, oh, my God, did you see this? Whoa, just beautiful. That's the woe in your spirit, Mike, isn't it? That's the woe when you understand how good he is, how good he is, praise God. You know, and when you're filled with that, then you can speak to people about repentance. 
Because you see, Jesus never said repent. He said, repent for the kingdom of God draws near. Get full of the kingdom of God and you'll find the people around you will have a metanoia. Praise God. You see, he never expected anybody to do anything apart from him. How can people repent apart from the Spirit of God? The Bible says quite clearly, no man can say Jesus Lord apart from the Spirit of God. So your job and my job, be thee filled with the Holy Spirit. Get full of the love of God. Get drunk on the love of God. Go outside and see 3,000 people have a metanoia. Praise God. And only the gospel of grace can do that. Praise God. The gospel is not about you. Because if it's at all about you, you're probably thinking, Phil, that's a good idea. I'm not quite ready yet. <laughs> we always make it about us. Praise God. And so the gospel sets us free from that. It's just so beautiful. The angels were amazed, you know. But see, so that, but that, that's too bright, you see. We can't take all that in. Oh, I don't know about that feeling. Oh, that's a bit bright there, you know. So we've got to water that down a bit. What do you do if the sun's too bright? You put sunglasses on, okay? So that's what we do with this, this bright gospel. We sort of put, we put carnally minded glasses on, you see. And men through the generations have dimmed down the gospel, you see. And so they've dimmed it down. So there's almost like two versions. Here's the first version, you know. It says... It's like a king that looked down on a woman who was a great sinner and decided to save, to forgive all her sin. He decided, I'm going to forgive all her sin. And so the king issued a proclamation that all her past sins were to be removed from the public record and from this day forward, she could live as if she'd never sinned. That's not the gospel. Now let me give you the gospel. The king looked down at the sinful woman and saw the root of all her sins. He saw the emptiness in her life, saw the fear in her heart, and he knew that she lived like that because she did not know of his great love for her. And so, yes, the king issued a proclamation that all the principalities and powers would hear of it. And the proclamation is this, that he's married the sinful woman because the only answer to separation is union. You were married to Christ that you may bear fruit unto God, bearing the fruit. But do you know you're married? Praise God. Intimacy. The intimacy that the gospel brings you into with the Lord is you'll bear the fruits. And the first fruit you'll bear will be holy laughter, holy boldness. People will think, what's going into John? He's drunk in the spirit again. Praise God. It's holy boldness, you know. So, so feed me some of this drink. Pass me some of this drink. Talk to me again about how God sees to me. Get full again, you know. It's not a phrase in Derry. We're going out to get full. That's, what, that's why we come here. No, we come here to get full. Praise. Get full of the Spirit of God. Get full of the revelation. Be astonished. Take your sunglasses off. Stare at the sun. Realize you were blind all along. Praise God. The way God sees people. Then you'll find yourself like Ananias, looking at people who are murderers and saying, and feeling the love of God for that person. And realizing God is a destiny. God is a love letter for that person. And if I deliver it full of the presence of God, that's going to change that person. That's going to give him a, a metanoia, praise God. Oh, let's bring this to a close then. You know, sometimes when we grow in the expression of this, and the expression of these truths, we can be impatient with other people. We can be impatient with other Christians. I would say, let people have their journey. You and I did not have a road to Damascus experience. We were on a journey, you know. That book was part of our journey. Let people have their journey. Do what Jesus did. He found two disciples walking in the wrong direction. Remember in the road to Emmaus? He drew near them and he walked with them. Walk with people. Draw near them. If you're full of the truth, 
The presence of God in you will bring about a metanoia. Have the conversation. Let the conversation flow. And you'll find eventually there'll be revelation at the table. That's where they ended up, at the table. Praise God. So, this week, find a table. Dinner table, lunch table, out for coffee table. But most of all, find the table that God has prepared in the midst of all your troubles. A conversation. A conversation. He is speaking to us right now, speaking to you and I, and he wants us to ask some questions. Well, we're good at that in Northern Ireland, aren't we? What about? <laughs> Come on, what about? Remember Gideon. Ah, no, that sounds great, God, but what about? <laughs> Have the conversation. Everybody's got what abouts. Have the conversation. You know, there's people around us, and they're one conversation away from a metanoia. And you carry the presence of God in you to draw that conversation out. Now, be wise. You know that. You know when you're conversing with somebody if it's going in or if it's a closed door. You know? I mean, Jesus said that to his disciples. Go in the door and say, peace be all in this house. And if your peace comes back in your face, just move on. (laughs) But if your peace remains, and you'll know in a conversation, you know, when you're talking and they haven't changed the subject yet. They haven't changed the subject yet. Like yesterday at the meal, the server, young man who was serving us, he came to the table while we were praying. And then he, he excused himself and went off again. But Mike went after him to, uh, when he was, you know, paying the bill very kindly and spoke to him again and explained, you know. And the young man immediately changed the subject. It's all right, you know. So you can discern. But some people won't. Because some people have been waiting for a conversation, you know. So the theme of today really was open your mouth. And I want to finish by praying a prayer over you because I looked up. I remember a little scripture where there's a man who couldn't speak and Jesus prayed for him. Do you remember this man? Uh, I think he's actually in um, Mark, Mark 7. There was a man who brought to Jesus and he could hardly speak. He could hardly speak because he was deaf. He wasn't really hearing, you know. I'm speaking to you today that our ears would open to hear what God is saying to us. And he is drawing out of us a conversation. And when Jesus found this man, it says he took him away all by himself and he put his fingers in his ears and he put some spit on his tongue and then he he sighed, Jesus sighed and he said one word. I'm going to say this word over you this morning. Ephatha. It means be opened. Be opened. So I declare over you, be thee full of the Holy Spirit that your tongues would be opened, your mouth would be opened to say things that will surprise you because you have within you the very Spirit of God that is going to speak to people this week that God's going to bring you. And you're going to have conversations. And I believe in the age that we're living at, there's no accidents. Right now, people are more open to the gospel than they've ever been. Certainly much more open than they were before lockdown. The very thing the enemy uses for destruction, God will turn to the good. Praise God. So, Father, I just thank you for open eyes, open ears, open hearts. As we walk around this week, we just know that we'll find ourselves in the middle of a conversation with someone, and we'll say, oh, this is one of those conversations. Ephatha, Father, open, 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 open my mouth, open their heart, open their ears. In Jesus' name we ask. Praise God.